kids. And I was going, I really want to go to graduate school. I really want to. But she wouldn't concede to that because of how hard it was before. So I said, okay, I'll work. So I worked first. And where I did work is I started working at um, Dow Chemical. And so that's where I chose to go. And that's one of the great things about, you know, when you have a technical degree, you can end up at different places. And Dow Chemical was a wonderful place. And the reason for that is because when I was a chemical engineer, what you find out is you're good at a lot of stuff because you're exposed to so much. Thermodynamics, kinetics, flow, everything. So you could do something. And I thought, you know, because I like kinetics because of the, um, the solving of multi-dimensional equations to solve something. So I like that. And you brought in chemistry with this. So breaking apart molecule, molecule and bringing it together. So I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I like this. So I had a summer internship. And it also was at Dow Chemical. And I'm walking through the plant, and it was in Houston, Texas. It was in Laporte. So if any of them has been in Houston in the middle of the summer, I think you know where I'm going with this, right? So it's extremely hot. We're walking through, you know, I'm walking up all these distillation columns and doing what we call PNID, so another acronym, piping instrument and diagrams, so how things are flowed throughout. And I was thinking, is this it? Is this where I'm going to end up? I'm going to end up where it's really hot. I'm going to be tracing lines, and I'm going to be stuck in this plant. This is not what I want to do. I knew for sure. Absolutely, I did not. Absolutely did not want to be that. So you're going to find that, right? There's going to be certain things you like and you don't like. And one of the wonderful things about chemical engineering is, or, or engineering in general, or any of the sciences, it allows you to do multiple different things. You can focus into an area and become much stronger. So you could be a mechanical engineer working in biology or a chemical engineer or even computer science, doing different things. So um, I also had another internship where I, I actually started working for Dow Chemical. And I worked in um, Seabrook. No, it was first it was Seabrook, and then I ended up in oh, Lake Jackson, Texas. So that's right against the coast. And when I went there with my wife, because we were trying to decide where to go. We went there in the spring, so that's the best time. <laughs> Weather is perfect. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. We could live here, it's green all the time. There's no more snow. Because coming from Montana, it's like, I'm just sick of snow. I don't want to see snow ever again. You know, I'm tired of shoveling, all of it. Just don't want to do it. Um, so we went there, and it was just beautiful. And we were kind of wondering, you know, we went by these places, and you see houses with all these screened-in porches, and you see swimming pools that have entire thing is screened in. Now, and my wife and I are going, what is that? Why do they screen this in? <laughs> they have no idea. What is this? And we didn't really see anyone around either. So we were just thinking, it's nice outside, but no one's around. No one's walking. These things are all screened in. What is this? What is this? So we went there. Anyone know why they had it screened in? Just out of curiosity. Uh, they have a lot of mosquitoes. Yeah. Not just a little bit. They actually had two types of mosquitoes. They had freshwater mosquitoes and brackish water mosquitoes. So you had mosquitoes all year long. I had pictures of, I took pictures near our house with near the light and just gather. And they're up there. It was December. And I took a picture and I went, I'm going to remember this. I'm never going where there's this many mosquitoes. <laughs> they would go through the plant, which the plant was huge. They had three plants there. The plant that I always worked at was bee plant. It produced its own power because it has to, because it's so much power is required. It, the plant itself produced enough power for all of Houston, just that one plant. It was incredible. So you would go, and it's funny, it was almost like a hurricane because it was foggy all the time, you know. We, 
So in the morning, it's foggy, it's so humid because you get such swing. And you start to approach the plant. And there was this huge ring where the heat was rising from the plant. It was clear. The sky was clear. But then you come through like the eye of a hurricane every time. And that's what it was like. And, I would, and they would have foggers come through, which I never knew what a fogger was, but there are vehicles that spray for mosquitoes. <clears throat> and you'd go out, walk out in the plant, you'd go really quick because it's so hot that you would immediately start sweating and you'd just be dripping wet when you walk around and do the plant. But what you'd find also was, you know, they would have to fog every week for mosquitoes because they're that bad. And you'd see in the corners like two inches of dead mosquitoes wrapped around because they're always killing them and they're just so many it's unreal so i was thinking i cannot live here it was so extreme but what i did find there is i fell in love so this is my end of my four-year degree i really didn't know what i wanted to do but i in my mind i kept thinking i'm going to go to graduate school and i'm going to emphasize kinetics and catalysis because i i love those things because i'm good at it and maybe thermodynamics but that's what i thought but going to Dow Chemical, I worked on metallocene cold polymers. And I don't know if you know what metallocene materials are, but they're, they're catalysts. They were originally designed, they were, they were called a Ziegler Nata catalyst. They had the zinc in the middle and they had four little ligands on there. But what it allowed you to do is to take olefins and make long change polymers. And what Dow Chemical did is they created what they called a constrained geometry catalyst, which basically means they had this little zinc thing in there, or titanium, sorry, titanium in there, and they were able to sandwich it. Now imagine that you have <coughs> a catalyst like this, and you could have a molecule come in in any direction. And because of that, what you ended up with was materials that were very broad in spectrum of what they could be, meaning that their molecular weights would be incredibly broad. You had little control. Now imagine if you created something where you only had one site that you could get to, and that's it. Nowhere else. And that's the only place it could build. Because of that, you were able to create a brand new generation of polymers, um, polyolefins. So you could make, what we were making is polyethylene, polyoctene, um, polypropylene, ethylene, pro, uh, propylene, let's see, EPDMs. Ethylene, propylene, diamine monomers. EPDMs. So what you could do is you could grow them and they would all be the same. And they all they, you could control that. And then what you could also do, what you couldn't do before, is I could make A, 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 and then throw in a B in there. Make B, 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 B. And make it, make it very structured. Which was brand new. We were competing with Exxon. And one of the things I worked on is was I helped create a company called... Um, DuPont Dow, DuPont Dow elastomer. So I actually worked on that, designing some of those materials and working on that original thing. But what, you, what was cool about it is you could build these things and you could go with everything from a highly crystalline polymer, so something that was incredibly hard, and by changing its composition, I could turn it into something incredibly rubbery like a rubber ball. And it was the same thing. And all I did was I changed the molecules and how they're arranged inside. And from that moment on, I went, I am sold on this sexy idea that I can take molecules, assemble them, and make them do whatever I want. Now, I only know that the only thing people that I know that can create are women, because men, we don't make anything, really. <laughs> right? That's true. But you could just create something that didn't exist before. Now, I had to know more about that. It's like, okay. 
And I remember this is when you know the internet first started coming out, so we just still had American Online, which you probably don't even know what that is. But you, you don't, oh yeah, yeah. So you, you know the sound, right? You plug in and go, <laughs> welcome. So I did a search. I did a search using American Online because I wanted to know more about Palmers. I went, who does Palmers? Because I want to know, and I want to go to the best place I can go to learn the most about it. So just like Stan, he went to Virginia Tech. So when I looked, the three top Palmer schools in the country were Virginia Tech, University of Massachusetts, and University of Southern Mississippi. They knew the most about anything. Now what was cool for me was at Virginia Tech, they were creating something brand new that hadn't existed before, which was they were creating what we call organic and organic materials. We call them nanocomposites. We just call them hybrid organic and organic materials. But you use them for so many things. And some of the first generation materials that people created were lenses, contact lenses, are actually organic, inorganic polymers. They are hydrogels, which are created out of a polymer, a, a very hydrophilic polymer, and then an inorganic polymer. So that way you can control the refractive index and control the oxygen permeability so that way you can wear them for a long time. The alternative to that was glass. Not, you couldn't wear them very long either. So, and, the only, and you couldn't wear them if you had um, stigmatism because then it just didn't work. So much pain was created. But that's what people wear today. That's a hybrid organic inorganic material. I had to learn about that. It's like, that's so cool. You know, you're taking not only molecules, but you can take inorganic ones and create something so cool. I mean, that's my word, right? So I just really wanted to know more about it. So when I was looking at schools, I went, I want to go there. I really want to go there because I want to learn more about that. So I, <coughs> I applied to a bunch of schools at University of Mi uh, Michigan, UT Austin, and I looked at all these and I said, I got into all those schools and I went, not very good at polymers. Those guys are doing catalysis this kind of work. They don't know anything. They're doing this. And I went, oh, Virginia Tech, I think I've got, got to go there. You just have to go there. And oh, oh, by the way, my wife had this constraint. She goes, I'm not living in a big city, and we're not living here, and you're not living there. So I had this, like, she just not even constrained. Like, you know, so I had to really look, and then and she goes, oh, and if, you don't, and if you don't have any money to go to school, you can't quit your job. So I went to Virginia Tech. I actually bought a plane ticket, flew there, met the department head, and he really wanted me to go there. <clears throat> and he talked about scholarships and all the things that come when you transition from undergraduate to graduate because that's just a big deal. It's so different. The ability and what you get, how you're funded is so different. You will be taken care of. So I went there and I looked and I went, they're going to offer me these fellowships and stuff. So I went and it's like, like the hillbillies, I just pulled it all together and I big old van and I drove all the way there to Blacksburg, Virginia, which was a long drive. And I remember that. That's a long drive. I took a bus back. My, I called my brother. I said, please pick me up. I can't be on a bus anymore. <laughs> but we drove all the way and we went there and it was the probably for me the best experience ever um, going there and doing that whole thing. But, but that's for a PhD. I mean, I can also tell you that uh, working for a company is, can be an incredible experience. I mean, um, so what I didn't throw in there is I also work for 3M, which is incredibly supportive of Native Americans, especially where they're located. Very strong 
Native American program. I have colleagues there that have done exceptionally well at 3M. It has a very open culture. It's a different philosophy. It not my philosophy um, in the sense that, you know, you just, it's just different. But I was, I was probably too driven. I just wanted to do more, and that's not really how they work. But that's, it was a great place to be. So I'm kind of giving you, laying this thing out here. It says, let's just make sure. That's what one could do. Um, I have colleagues now that started as an engineer. I'll give you one example. Um, he started off as just an engineer at the same plant that I was at. He was, no, actually he was in the Twin Cities. And now he's a plant manager at 3M and he gets the chance to be able to help others fund Native American programs where he gets scholarships. And I remember sitting in the office one time and I got a call from 3M headquarters saying, because well, I had a 3M scholarship when I was at Montana State. And they said, well, Chris, what's the value of that? And I said, oh my gosh, it allowed you to do this and this, and it made it possible that I did not have to work all the time. Because as a student, this is a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Anyone that says anything different, or if you're not working at that level, you're not committing what's necessary. Um, you're not getting the full experience that you could have as, a con as, as being undergraduates. And so that's what they're asking me, you know, what's the value of that? And I said, well, because of that, I was able to finish and I was able to now um, visit with other Native Americans, high school students talking about, you know, going on to a four-year college and how important it was. And so that enabled me to be able to do that. And what I didn't offer, talk about a little bit later is, you know, I still go back to Montana State University now, but now as part of their engineering, um, engineering research board. So help set direction and everything like that. And when I get to go back, the fun part is to see how different it has become, how welcoming and how much more open it is than it was when I was there. And that's one of the things I think is so great is things have been changing so much. So I, I feel like maybe I'm old, but I, in my mind I'm not. But how much has been changing and when I see all of you here, I think, wow, you're going to be able to create this kind of change. I mean. If this simple me can do it, and did what I have done so far, and I'm not done, how much more will you do? I mean, I just keep thinking out of my mind. So when finishing that four-year degree gives you that ability. And there's a joke, which I've heard. So I'm going to tell it because it's not too bad. But do you know the difference be between a BS, an MS, and a PhD? And I'll give you the clean version. <laughs> so when you, <coughs> you, have you ever heard this joke before? I see no. Okay, so when you finish your BS, this is what will happen. You will learn a lot, and you will think you'll know everything. I guarantee you will. You know, it's like, I just know. I know it. I worked hard. I know. You'll go and get your master's, and then you'll all of a sudden you'll be introduced to all this theory and where everything came to that applied equation that you used to solve, whether it's Navier-Stokes or whatever. You're going to look at that or Nernst equation, whatever it is, you're going to see that it's been simplified down and you use it. And then you look at the fundamental theory behind it and you're going to go, I know nothing. I don't know anything. And that's what you're going to figure out. And then you get your PhD and then you go, yeah, I know nothing, but you guys don't know that I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and that there's some truth to that. <laughs> so, I'm just going to let you ask me questions. Can I kind of lay some groundwork for you to kind of understand a little bit? I've had an interesting 
life in the sense that I've done multiple things. You know, I've been I've been in industry. I've been at a national lab, which I really enjoyed. I've been in academia, and still in academia, and I still like that. I really enjoy the parts of being able to help take a student instead of a postdoc and train them to be able to think critically so that when someone else gets that postdoc, they'll go, wow, oh, he's good, or she's good, because I helped them become that way. Yeah. Can I ask you to share something you shared last night sure. about internships? We were talking about the benefit of them while you're in school versus waiting until you're done. Yeah. So there's a new thing going on. The National Science Foundation has what they call research experiences for undergraduate students. They are so hungry for you to, so if someone wins one, let's say, or talk one, one or I win one, I'll be looking for everyone to try to apply to that thing because I want a student to come. And they really do this, you know. That will give you an opportunity to do it. Read this. So I'm just giving you one example so far. So that will give you an opportunity to work in an academic setting in a research lab with a faculty member, and hopefully you're doing something useful. So you get an experience out of that. But that gives you an opening. And the wonderful thing about it, it's not like a co-op. So co-op is different in the sense that you do research during the academic year, and it lengthens the time before you get to graduate. An RU or something like that means during the summer you make some money and you go do something and you get to not you get to see right and you could come back and you make some money and put it on your CV and people look at it and they go ah that's a more well-rounded person because they've been somewhere and they've been challenged with that so that's what what RUs can do they can help direct you in that way um, there's there's lots of industrial mixtures of of research where one could go and work like for 3M. 3M loves to hire people. I mean, they are aggressive about this. They really see that talent in the future is something that you need to invest in. So they do that. They bring undergraduate students out, try to bring you into the culture, kind of check you out, and then make you a job offer. And after you're done doing that. So I've had many friends that have done that as well. I think there's a few other companies that do the same thing. I'm most familiar with them when they do that. So you could go after that. Um, that helps prepare you, so that's the industrial thing. At Sandia, they have, I think they do have something like that. I don't really recall undergraduates, though. I mean, that's a more of a rare thing. I mean, I funded, under my own funding, I would fund, or fund an undergraduate student or a graduate student come work with me, but I don't recall them actually funding them. So those are the kind of the spectrums of things. I think what you learn, though, is so valuable. So another example is I worked for Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, the Patel part of it, for one summer. Um, they helped fund my schooling, and so I went out there during the summer. And what I did is I looked at, because <clears throat> this is again where, you know, if you go back in the early 70s, you could do whatever you wanted, you know, with your waste. It's just that there was no law that said you couldn't, so like Love Canal and all these things. So they did the same thing. They just took their tritium and plutonium waste and just put it in settling ponds and let it go. So you have, these, you have this huge, beautiful river that's flowing through there, you know, the Columbia River. And so you have all these nitrates and tritium plumes that would be floating in there. And so what I had to do is they had some geologists that had done a bunch of water sampling. So I had to look at all of it and all the places he looked at to understand how the plume was migrating. Now, I did my job. I did a great job at it, right? But I said, I don't want to do that. So, I mean, these experiences can help you figure out what you don't want to do, but also it helps you build greater confidence in what you do. Personally, from my own point of view, 
my, the thing that I liked the best was I did research as an undergraduate while I was in school. I worked for this guy, and you probably guys don't know who this person is. Again, I feel old. But he looked like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> he literally looked like Fred Flintstone on the Flintstones. He did. His name was Bradford Mundy. He was from the Northeast, and he was hilarious. But I worked in his lab, and, and I learned gel permeation chromatography, NMR, and I would make small molecule synthesis, and I worked on this stuff, and he always, he said to me, you know, because I was, I had an aptitude for making things, so I could make small molecules, and he goes, Chris, you just got magic hands. I said, my graduate student can't make what you do. But I could do, I just haven't, I've always had that aptitude to be able to do that. And I didn't really think much of it, because I was, um, like, all of us, most of us here, you know, I came from um, a poor background. It's like, you know, I'm not good enough to go to graduate school. I'm not as good as these other people that had, like, at Notre Dame, a wealthy upbringing or were valedictorians because most of my students or most of my classmates when I was as an undergrad were, were valedictorians, and I definitely was not that. I was the do as little as possible. <laughs> totally. But I was you were busy yeah yeah. Now actually, my wife thought I was cool because I. So I'm going to make fun of myself a little bit. So we we can delete this part, right? No, it's on. We're streaming you. All right, <laughs> all right. So I was a pretty good break dancer when I was younger. So my wife thought I was pretty cool. So she goes, "You're cool," and then all of a sudden you turn into this nerd. It's like I don't know. <laughs> it's been something I. So those are the experiences, I think. But my favorite, of course, is working with a faculty member. Because what you can do is, like a talk did, she published two papers. That makes such a big difference when you're looking at graduate applications. So I, I've served um, multiple years on looking at the graduate pool and looking at where they come from and what their package looks like. And you look at the whole thing, the totality of it. So not only you look at their GRE, but you look at their, where they went what they've done externally, and you look at the whole package. And then what you want to be able to do is give someone an argument for, well, yeah, their GPA isn't quite as high, but look at the research they did. They have an aptitude to do well in the lab. And that is so important as a student. As a faculty member looking at a student going, man, does he have the skill set to do well? Because I'll give you a flip side of the story. I had this Ivy Leaguer postdoc that worked for me and I absolutely thought, I don't know how he graduated. Because he was really, I won't tell you his name, this is when I was at Sandia. I just wanted to get rid of him. Bruce Kelly wouldn't let me. I had to pay this guy $80,000 for a piece of junk. But he was broken. He was really good on paper. Went to a great school, very good. Put him in the lab, useless. It's like you can't do the most practical thing. So when I look at someone, I think, all right, you know, you can do really well in a grade-wise, right? But are you also a doer? And so when they see that, they, go, they immediately think, ah, oh, this person is balanced. They're doers. They also can perform well. Maybe they didn't do quite as well as this other person that has a 4.0 that has nothing else. All these little things, they belong clubs and stuff. But they're balanced. So that's what I look for. And when we're as a committee, we also were looking for that because our goal was to try to bring in the best graduate students as possible so that when the faculty member would pick one, they're going to be successful and they're going to succeed in the program and make us look good. Hmm. That was our goal. I think we're going to end. We're out to lunch. Okay. But you did say something that we're going to, I'd like to revisit. Sure. Um, you talked about going to visit the school. 
And I just want to come back to being discussion of proactive in your in your career. Right? Yeah. I think it's important. I've heard a number from a number of speakers that it's that going out and looking on the internet, going out and talking to people, asking things can yeah. really benefit your career. And if I, yeah. I think across the board, what I found over the years is that's very that's one of the most difficult things for a student. To do, oh yeah. Is to think about. Well, why would I go talk to that professor in this other? And I, and I, I live with my own kids, right? So like, you need to go talk to these people. They want to talk to you. They want to talk to you. But how do you get there? So if we come back to that. Okay. Thanks, Chris.